You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. I am so excited to bring you another medley episode. One, because I love medleys. As a lover of reggae music, you get used to certain medley. It's kind of like a mixtape, but it's specific to one rhythm, right? Or one artist. So you might have a medley with, I don't know, thinking about 90s dance hall, the pepper seed rhythm. What was the other one that's... Dang. Of course, they're all escaping me right now, but Backyard, that's what it's called, Backyard. And so you'll have a medley where you'll have like a bunch of different artists, a bunch of different musicians who produce tracks specifically on that beat, right? On that rhythm. So I'm taking that medley concept and I did it with the spirituality and parenting one where you heard from a few different folks around that very specific topic, that particular rhythm. And now we're going to do the same thing to... Close out for now the Parent Founder series. So you're going to be hearing from a few different folks here. You're going to hear from Nuola, whose essay is about self-directed education at home. So as a parent founder, working oftentimes from home, I wanted to be able to share the perspectives of someone who is doing it not necessarily in a collective space like some of the unschooly schools that we talk about on this podcast, like Agile Learning Centers or other sorts of collaborative learning spaces. Some people do it primarily at home. And Nuola's essay, As a Mom Doing It at Home, is going to be really useful for that practice as you think about the different ways that self-directed education can show up and feel really organic for you and yours. You're also going to hear from Dr. Sunjata, the homie who you've heard many times on the podcast. I asked him to share really succinctly how he started Grow and just sort of the evolution of that space. So you'll hear that as someone who is now an independent educator, not running Grow in the same way in terms of starting or founding a space that is one physical spot in a city, he's doing something different now that sort of bloomed out of Grow. But I wanted you to get some of that perspective of how he got Grow off the ground, because I know a lot of us are looking at ways like, okay, right where we live, how can we get together and do this thing? You're also going to hear from Sarah. Ah, Sarah, I love Sarah. She's been a longtime listener of the podcast, and she did Arrow's Virtual Summit, A-E-R-O, if you're not familiar with Arrow, of course, the show notes page, raisingfreepeople.com forward slash 111. It's going to have some direct links. I'm actually going to link to their newsletter from earlier this month, I think, earlier in March. That was just so, so good. I don't open it every time, but whenever I do, I kind of remember that I need to open Arrow's newsletter every time because there's always so much goodness in there. And then there's the live event coming up in Portland. I hope I'm getting that right. All those details will be on the show notes page. You're also going to hear from Bina and Noel. Bina is the mama of The Family Dances. That's their Instagram. And it's also their website, thefamilydances.com. All of that is going to be on the show notes page. And you just need to go to her Instagram page to see what I'm saying. Because when you talk about like movement and as she talks about like freeing the booty, <laughs> And the beauty of movement, particularly 
in work around raising free people. I'm going to need to have Bina on to talk about that in great detail, but here you're going to hear from her and a sister friend, Noelle, because Bina runs this family learning lab that is a collective for families to really explore raising free people together. She hosts that space and holds that space in her home. She and her husband are major capoeira enthusiasts and um, raising beautiful babies. Just all sorts of beautiful blackness for you to tap into and feel through and see which bits and pieces might work for you. I'm so happy to be able to just share that. This is Nola Akende recording the essay, Radiant Child. I am so delighted to share some of the work we did while studying the late artist Jean-Michel Basquiat, a.k.a. The Radiant Child. This exploration was definitely inspired by the interests of the children, anatomy, playing with color and form in their art, etc., but was certainly not explicitly asked for. I'm still sorting through the balance of totally emergent, self-directed work and surrounding the children with unapologetic, cosmically Black resources and experiences to counteract the insidious white supremacy that is post-colonial America. Our artist studies are typically a bit more initiated by the themes that I pull out of their independent curiosities and are one of the primary ways that I include art, history, and culture of Africa and the diaspora. Wale, age eight in particular, identified with Basquiat as a kindred spirit in mischief and creativity. Here are some suggestions for how to go about an artist study with someone as prolific as Basquiat. One, play with the images. Whether in a book, online, or printed out at the library, the kids loved finding the themes in Basquiat's pieces. The first week or so was spent just becoming familiar with the works. We noticed color, lines, form. We looked for texture in the pieces and tried to match some of his works to the themes or elements of our own lives. For example, the piece Boy and Dog in Johnny Pump was inspiration for some lively dramatic play involving our own puppy and pretending a fire hydrant was going off in the yard. Two, listen. As always, when I listened to the children, they were always sharing new insights with me. I tried to be mindful to listen more than I spoke and make space for their own analysis and critical thinking. Many of the art history themes I'd taken note of and wanted to bring up to them, the children came to on their own. Others seemed less important or relevant once our conversations were underway. Basquiat's use of crowns in particular was a theme that we enjoyed discussing. The children were torn between the positive symbolism of being a king or queen with the social power that's often abused whenever one person or group of people is too powerful. I shared that I think Basquiat inserted the crown in many of his pieces as a positive reminder of African kings and queens that are often forgotten in this country and that black and brown people also come from strong regal heritages. There was also a series of really intense discussions about Basquiat's use of the imagery and phrase crown of thorns, leading to many tears over Jesus's death and conversations about the message he was trying to spread on earth. We also connected the story of Jesus to that of Yoruba deities Shango, a powerful king who died by hanging, and Obatala, known for his patience and compassion. I was surprised to see how moved the children were by hearing the story of Jesus again, but not by their connections with the symbolism they noticed in various pieces. 3. Methods and Madness Being inspired by an artist doesn't always have to mean attempting to replicate their technique. 
We listened to Duke Ellington and Dizzy Gillespie really loudly and talked about our favorite movies while working to replicate some aspects of the environment that Basquiat liked to work in. We came away with a richer understanding of the relationship between street art and fine art and noticed some of the ways in which an artist's style can change over the course of a few years. There were some conversations that I wanted to have about Basquiat's drug use or his frustrations with police brutality or being tokenized as a quote primitive artist by wealthy and white art collectors and critics. These conversations I left for another time. Above all, I wanted this time to be a celebration of play, color, self-expression, and the life of a radiant child. My story starts when I was in college because when I was in college, that was the first time that I felt a calling on my life and I felt a sense of passion towards wanting to solve a problem. That problem was poverty. I grew up in West Philly, inner city West Philly, and when I went to undergrad, I got out of the city for an extended amount of time for the first time and I was able to start to see the impacts of poverty once I was able to step out of it. And I felt like a calling on my life that I was called to do something about it. And one summer, I went home and I taught in a, a reading program for young people, elementary age young people in North Philadelphia. And I fell in love. I was a business major at the time and, and I fell in love with the impact and being a role model, et cetera. And that's when I changed my major to elementary education at that stage. And that's when I kind of got in my mind that this is what I'm supposed to do. These are the people that I'm supposed to impact in my life. Now, initially, after graduating with my degree in elementary education, I was still entrepreneurial minded. So I started a business. And at that stage in my head, I, this was my thought. I said, the people that really make a difference in the world have power and they have money. So if I'm going to be able to make the difference that I want to make in these communities, I need to have power and money. So I'm going to become a successful entrepreneur and put my working with young people on the back burner for now and just really go hard in the business world. And that's what I set out to do. And long story short, I started several businesses over the next five to seven years, ultimately ended up in the real estate industry when the market was booming and was investing in real estate heavily and moved to Atlanta in 2007. And when I moved to Atlanta, I started investing here and then the market started to take a turn and it crashed and I lost a lot of money. I was devastated, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And for the first time I said, okay, I need to get a real job in order to support my family. My wife at the time was pregnant and we had a little one coming. So all throughout that time when I was in the business world, I still was a big brother mentor. I would work with young people in, in several capacities, still kind of scratching that itch of wanting to make an impact, positive impact in communities working with young people. So I said, if I'm going to work for someone, I'm going to work for young people. So that's when I started my teaching journey in 2007. At the end of 2007, going into 2008, I started my teaching journey. And I stepped foot in the school system with the entrepreneurial mindset wanting to make a difference, wanting to make change. And I was told that, Scott, you got to play the game. And folks just told me to settle down and all these lofty ideas that I had about changing things, just it wasn't going to happen. I had to follow the script, had to follow the system. And I became increasingly frustrated with that system and starting to see the, the dysfunction within that system and how it was hurting young people and it was hurting communities. And it really, really made me upset. 
And I started researching alternatives. I went back to school, uh, received my master's degree and started a doctorate program around that same time. And while I was doing that, I was also researching alternatives to conventional education. And that's when I first learned about Montessori, Reggio Emilia, democratic free schools, et cetera. And the more I learned about those alternatives, I became increasingly even more upset with what I was experiencing in the school system. And in 2010, I decided to start a nonprofit program as an after-school program, and I recruited some of my coworkers. And we started running an after-school program at three schools in the area. We were in East Point near Atlanta, and we were in the elementary, middle, and high school, and we were just supplementing what was happening during the day. We were teaching social and emotional intelligence skills and health and wellness and financial literacy and cultural African-American history and different things like that that weren't really being addressed that we felt at that time would make a difference. And after running that program for some time, I also was in school for my doctorate at this point, and I took a class called Thinking in Systems. And when I took the Thinking in Systems class, I started to learn how to see the various issues in society. I started to see the root cause of those issues. I was learning language and learning tools to be able to see the root cause of these various issues that I was passionate about. And that only furthered my frustration and my anger. And I started to see how a lot of the solutions that society was pushing to these problems were actually perpetuating the problems. And it got to the point where I didn't know what to do with myself. I was ready to just like picket the public school system because at this point I'm like, we are hurting children. It felt inhumane at this point. We're hurting communities, we're hurting children. And what can I do about it? And I realized that a lot of people saw the problem, but they didn't necessarily see it from the angle that I was seeing it once I started learning about systems thinking. And I felt like I was on an island. I felt alone. I was frustrated and angry and just didn't know what to do. I felt trapped because I had to support my family. But at the same time, I wanted to just fight against this system. Like I wanted to go picket at the school board's office, the school district's offices and just do some radical. I used to think about doing some really, really extreme radical things like going on a hunger strike until they changed like the standardized testing and everything. Like I wanted to do some radical things and it was a tough time mentally. It got to the point where in 2012, I decided I couldn't do it anymore and I just decided to leave education altogether. Not really knowing what I was going to do next, but it was at the point where, because of the way I'm wired, when I see things, I need to take action. And that way, the way I felt about, that I was literally a part of a system that was hurting people and young people, and even teachers as well were being hurt by the system, et cetera, I could no longer be a part of it. So I walked away cold turkey, not knowing what I was going to do next. But at that time, I also realized that what we were doing after school wasn't going to put a dent in the problem. Like we needed to make holistic changes. So when I walked away in 2012, I also started writing down a vision for a new learning community center. And it was called Learn You at that time, but eventually it would morph into what ultimately became Grow. But I walked away in 2012 and started doing real estate as a real estate agent at this point because I had my license from when I was investing. And I kind of put everything on the back burner for a few years. And after about two and a half years of just doing real estate and trying my hand at some other entrepreneurial endeavors, the vision kept calling me. The Learn You vision kept calling me. And I sent out an email to some of my coworkers, former education coworkers, as well as uh, a friend that I had met named Crystal and asked them to join me in, in, in kicking off this vision. And by this time, it was 2015. 
and I asked him to join me in kicking off this vision. And the initial vision for Learn You was, was a for-profit. I pitched them on the idea that we were going to create this network of learning centers that would spread throughout the country and we would make build wealth and make millions of dollars that we can then transition into creating more businesses in these communities that we're trying to impact. And also it would improve on the money that they were making as educators, et cetera, et cetera. I had this grand for-profit wealth building vision for this Learn You. And I pitched that to them and some of them came on board and we started working. And after some time in 2015, we got towards the end of 2015 and I started to feel conflicted about the for-profit path. And I said, you know what, looking at the numbers, like this is going to be really hard to do. And I want to make millions of dollars with this program, but I also don't want to charge families tuition. I don't want to charge a lot of money for tuition. So we're crunching numbers. And in my head, I'm like, we're going to do this at $99. That's what it's going to, we're going to charge families, $99 a month. They can be a part of our program. And ultimately it just proved unrealistic. And I started going back and forth between the traditional for-profit path to not going to nonprofit. And ultimately things came to a head and we paused, we paused things because it just wasn't adding up. So after that pause, at the beginning of 2016, uh, kind of rebooted things with Crystal and I and some of those other volunteers, they moved on to other things. And I apologize to folks for taking them down that path because ultimately I began to become more and more disenchanted with that traditional capitalistic approach. And around this time at the end of 2016 is when I ran into unschooling. And I started learning more and more about unschooling. And then I started researching different programs around Atlanta and I became excited about this idea. So now around early 2016 is Crystal, one other person that came on board for a short time. And now I'm talking about unschooling and I'm kind of revamping the vision around this concept as well as the no tuition, low tuition concept. So we're building around this concept around these ideas. And then we came, the idea of grow, we transitioned from learn you to grow in like the fall 2015. So now we were talking about grow and we were meeting throughout the spring of 2016. And then we started doing meetups and recruiting more help. We knew we needed to recruit more help. By the summer of 2016, it was just Crystal and I, and we started doing meetups at local libraries and advertising for people who, you know, what the, sharing what the vision was and looking for like-minded people. And we were able to build another team of about six or seven volunteers at that time, just by doing meetups. And we met Atiba at this point in the summer of 2016, and Atiba came on board and we continued to create and plan. And by the fall of 2016, we had another budget. And at this point, this grand vision, and the budget was around $2 million to accomplish what we had on paper. And it was just like, it became overwhelming again. And it got further away from where my heart was again. And again, I was going back and forth between the whole nonprofit and for-profit and paying people's salaries versus saying, ah, we can't do it this way because the more and more grandiose this vision becomes, the more and more we get away from wanting to, for it being accessible to working class and low income people. But like the folks that were volunteering, some of them were looking at this vision as a potential job opportunity. And I felt like a, a sense of responsibility towards that. And it all came to a head again, to the point where I said, I just can't do it. Like if we can't do this for free at this point or very, very low cost, then I don't want to do it at all. 
and we pushed the pause button again. And I apologize to folks. All I could do is apologize because, again, at this point, I'm also learning a lot. I'm learning about more unschooling programs, et cetera, and how they're doing things and different tuition models and et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, it was a lot. It was a lot. So January of 2017 rolled around, and at this point, it was just Atiba, Crystal, and I. And through every iteration, Atiba and Crystal kind of stuck. They, st they stuck. And we learned about uh, Agile Learning Centers in 2017, and we were getting closer to getting started with this revised model. We learned about the sliding scale tuition model, et cetera. So we got started. Long story short, we eventually got started in the summer of 2017. It was Crystal, Atiba, and I, and we were ready to roll. Crystal wasn't able to be as hands-on at this point because she lived about an hour away from where we were starting the program, but she continued to support from a distance. And it was really just Atiba and I on, in the trenches at this point. And we launched. We launched Grow the summer of 2017. I appreciated Atiba so much for all the iterations and the evolution and it continued to evolve throughout 2017 through some more ups and downs, some more hurdles into 2018, ultimately to where Grow operated from 2017 to 2018. And then ultimately the model continued to shift and we got to the point where in 2018, the end of 2018, we ended up ceasing operations just based on some other complexities that I won't go into here. But what I will say is that we learned a lot throughout that process. We grew a lot. And I think it was all valuable. It was all meaningful. And the relationships that we were able to build along the way, joining the Agile Learning Center Network, the friendships, the lessons learned through being a part of that, and just by executing everything, just the lessons are so valuable. And ultimately, the fire still burns inside me for creating a self-directed education learning community that is accessible and to families, no matter their socioeconomic background. And I'm in a process of creating a training around how to do just that based on the things that I've learned that I'm going to post to the Grow website really soon and on our Facebook pages. So for anyone listening, if you're passionate about self-directed education, agile learning centers, and that model but also wanting these particular spaces to be accessible to young people, no matter their socioeconomic background. I believe that I have a way to do that for some people who have access to the necessary resources to get it done. And I'm going to share all those things based on what we learned in our journey. So it's been a wonderful journey. I appreciate those of you who follow through the various episodes I've been on. And I look forward to what the future is going to hold because I'm going to continue to be a part of this mission. I'm going to continue to be a part of this movement and continue to push this forward. I also want to say that I'm just truly grateful for every person that has come along along this journey and helped in any way. Every volunteer who spent time brainstorming and in the trenches with us, every parent or community member that has contributed in any way. I really appreciate it. I'm also extremely grateful for Crystal and Atiba because they were there through everything and stuck with me through everything and made so many sacrifices for a vision, not knowing what the outcome would be. And we've all been changed by this work in some way. So I just want to say that I'm truly grateful for them and every other person. What I have learned 
um, over my couple years of homeschooling is that self-directed education is one of the most relevant educational practices on the globe. Aero alternative educational revolution, it's not strange. Alternative education itself is not strange. It's inviting, it's needed, and it's what top private schools all around the nation are charging thousands of dollars for, from project-based learning to mastery learning, brain breaks, drop everything and read moments, opportunities for children to just thrive as free thinkers. And so I just wanted to share that as a precursor to my why behind attending the AeroX virtual conference. The first why is that I needed to really get a feel of this self-directed education knowledge base that other people have that I knew that I could learn from. The second was that I have a sincere desire to transform my own homeschool. And the third is that I, as a homeschool co-op creator in the traditional sense of the word, have a passion to actually start a learning community to support children and families in my own home education community. And parents are looking for something different and children need something different. One thing that I think is important to share is that I knew absolutely nothing about Arrow or the Alliance for Self-Directed Education before coming across Fear the Free Child and Miss Akila S. Richards. I knew nothing about it and I am forever grateful to the universe, to my God, that I learned about these resources through you. So here I am a year later attending my first ever Arrow virtual conference and the workshops and the TED Talks just created the absolute best experience. Crystal Farmer was one of the presenters that I came across during the TED Talk, and she discussed how agile learning centers are addressing social justice and income inequality, self-direct education as a civil rights movement, which was hosted by Peter Gray, unschooling, living and learning for sustainability, presented by Malika Diggs and Akila and Blake Bowles, who said that there's never been a better time to be a self-directed learner and who also lives pretty much as an adult unschooling uh, human being, was just amazing as well. Then there was the self-directed education as a civil rights movement, again, with Peter Gray, who was discussing amazing things about societal abuse of children culminating in our own current system of forced schooling in our practice of banning children from public spaces and not trusting our own children, which went back to what you and Malika were talking about, primarily about us taking the necessary steps to make and sustain the shifts necessary in our own unlearning, which can be challenging to say the least, to shift our own practices from the types that we have criticized, whether it's fear-based, unschooling, de-schooling, and identity, all of that was discussed, which then tied back into this self-direct education is a civil rights thought and that being a movement in itself and then addressing social justice and income inequality and how agile learning centers are embracing these ideas and helping to cultivate our children as free thinkers in the process. So we need to define the schools and unschooling that we create and nurture now by what they are 
not and what they are. And what I learned through attending this conference, again, it was reiterated to me that self-directed education is providing children with meaning, with pleasure, with strength, with autonomy. Mastery is defined by the learner, purpose. They always know their why and they find meaning in all that they do because learning is about their choice and their voice. Children are happier. They are freer in tune with themselves, but so are we as their facilitators, as their guides, as their parents, as their guardians. Another thing that just blew my mind was the workshop that was presented by Jerry Mintz. It was so you want to start an educational alternative. There were about 12 to 15 of us from around the globe, and each of us had different whys, but our desire was the same, and that was to provide children with a free-thinking learning environment. Jerry shared his knowledge and helped us with starting an educational alternative. He stayed after. The other coordinator, Peter, kept the conference open for an extended time, even after it was over, so whoever wanted to stay around and ask questions was free to do that. A resource sheet was shared for all attendees to stay connected. Presenters provided their personal emails for us to ask questions as we go and as we plan. We received a discount to the Aero Conference for attending the virtual conference. So besides the basic summary, I can just say that this virtual conference was worth the time. The investment was minimal, really, compared to some of maybe other conferences that are live and or virtual. I just feel like there's such a passion that Arrow has to really provide truth and to provide the ability for those who truly want to embrace and support self-directed learning to do that. And I think that's what's so beautiful about it all and was so enjoyable to see that there were other kindred spirits who also wanted the same thing. I think that the knowledge that was shared was just invaluable. The empowerment provided and the confirmation that I made the right choice to embrace self-direct education as a parent and as an educational community builder, it just totally solidified everything that I initially have doubted. I'm not going to lie about it, but I'm really glad that I have come full circle. I'm still learning, but have come so far. The conference in Portland, Oregon will be held June 26th to the 30th, and I'm working on attending because it's important to be fully immersed in this type of environment, an environment that will support you, especially your free thinking education is a practice for you. So I'm just thankful for the opportunity to have attended the virtual conference and thankful for you always, Akila, for providing such a phenomenal platform for paving the way, for being a free voice, a free thinker, and for giving all of us home educating melanin mamas a voice to be all that we can be and want to be in freedom. This is Bina. I'm here at our Family Learning Lab Tuesday. I'm here with Noel and her two girls and my three munchkins and we're holding space for our folks and I'm going to send you a few pictures too so you can have a visual of what this moment is but we weren't going to answer any particular question we're just going to talk a bit about why we're exploring these new pathways in learning 
are new to us since we weren't raised this way and weren't we didn't grow up in a culture that supported this sort of self-directed free learning environment um yeah you'll hear our munchkins because <laughs> we're we're inside this space with them so hi do you want to say oh, hi? Yeah. Um, my name is Noelle. I have two little girls. They're twins. They're three years old. And um, yeah, I, I come here every Tuesday. And I'm so thankful for Lena because I'm on this self-directed learning and schooling adventure. And I oftentimes feel like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And Nina always manages to make me feel like, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing everything that everything that I think I'm doing, I'm doing. So I love being in the space with her. She is a, a treasure. I think one of the reasons we gravitated toward each other in this learning process is that we have young children, and a lot of the established homeschooling communities in this area, the D.C. area, have catered toward older children. And there isn't a space like this that I had access to. So for the past few years, I've just been experimenting with creating spaces with other moms. And we've tried it out lots of different ways. (laughs) And so now I hold space in my home for whoever's interested in just exploring some of these ideas and questions together. And I call our process the Family Learning Lab. And I felt the word homeschool was too small for the vision. Uh Uh-uh, don't yank on her. You gonna build? Are you gonna go build? And I really wanted to focus on the family-centered process and that like everyone in the family is a part of the learning. We do family learning lab 24/7. Like there can learning really can happen all the time and everyone can participate. Um so right now on we're doing magnets and I have my 1-year-old on my back so the bigger kids can build without her destructive creativity Um, but she's itching to get down and and create with them and then wonder my three-year-old he was just playing in the sink or washing dishes he likes water play and it's it's always a learning because everyone doesn't want to do the same thing so every week we, we figure out a variety of things in the space and sometimes they work together and sometimes yeah everyone's doing something different and then my oldest is five so yeah it's fluid i think that's one of the things that i try to explore a lot is fluidity and having lots of options and being okay with none of the options being what they want in a particular moment you know learn learning from their choices is a a big part of this learning lab and i use the word lab because i think it is an experiment i don't know what today will bring what they'll bring what our other families will bring it's like we create as we go mm-hmm. i appreciate just being able to come as i am 
like, um, I used to be a teacher, and so I oftentimes get caught up in the idea that it has to be prepared, and it has to be an objective, and it has to be all these things laid out for it to, for learning to happen. And being, you know, in an environment where you sort of just, you know, we're going to go with what they're open to, with what they're feeling. It, one, makes my life easier because I can just go by what they So we wake up and they're not really into whatever it is I have planned. That's okay. We have other stuff that we can. And I like that because Bina is already on that wavelength, it's not a whole mechanism of switching gears and sort of getting someone to come over to understand, like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't. I see you have a lot of triangles on yours. And you made a nice, strong base. Look at that. You took a lot of time making that. That looks very nice. And I like that you used your favorite color a lot, too. Was that on purpose? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I am. And appreciate that it isn't. That it isn't a prescriptive vibe going on. It's just, you know, making the kids recognize that, you know, this is about you exploring what you're into. And I say that not to say that it's like, you know, there is no intention set. There is intention. It's just not an intention, you know, developed just solely by Bina and I. They are a part of the attention setting. And I appreciate that. As always, got to shout out new patrons. Our newest patron is Tatiana. Tatiana, thank you so much for becoming part of the Fair of the Free Child community by your financial support. And we also had two folks who increased their patronage. I appreciate y'all. Patreon.com forward slash Akila is where you can go to learn more about the work that I do, support the work that I do, be part of a community of now 78 folks. Oh, I love it. (laughs) 78 folks who said, you know what? I'm going to put a little bit of my money where my mouth is. I appreciate every single one of you for helping me to get this work to a point where it will become sustainable. I'm positive of it. I'm here for the whole process and I really appreciate your contribution as I do the work and share the work. Join me next week when we will start our series on pleasure. We're going to talk about different aspects of pleasure, specifically as it relates to our work of raising free people. Much love 